morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Scott Stebbin Podcast. Hope you are uh, having a wonderful weekend. Uh, today, we are going to be discussing the topic of salvation. Uh, we talked a little bit about this topic uh, with Kat Von D last week. Uh, and now, we're going to kind of talk about this idea of salvation as competition. Uh, so joining me in this conversation is my co-host, Micah Current. Micah, how have you been today? I'm good, man. It's still pretty early, but I can't believe that um, next week is Thanksgiving. Can you? I cannot. I cannot. It's 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 interesting. Like my wife was feeling so anxious because, you know, yeah. years when we lived in Virginia, we just stay at home for Thanksgiving. We make a meal. Maybe we invite some shut-ins. We invite some shut-ins over to the home to have a meal or other families from the church who may not have anywhere to go. Um, so now we get to go visit family and Laura's like, okay, here's who we're visiting on what day and stuff. And then she's thinking, oh, when we do that, we're going to have to have a plan on Christmas. What day are we visiting people on Christmas and when we're doing this? And it's just like, oh, this stuff stresses me out. I'm like, don't worry about it. You don't have to. Where's your wife's family at? Uh, Cleveland. Okay, and your your family's in like they're in Ravenna. Akron. They're like in Ravenna, Akron. so they're kind of by the Akron area. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was um Alicia and I've been married eight years. And so like we try to do like an every other year thing. We don't really, you know, go out of our way for Thanksgiving per se, but like for Christmas, it's like one year it's my family and we don't travel because m- the majority of my family is local. And then Alicia's family, like her extended family lives in Illinois. So, like, we usually take a drive over there. And then, like, with her work situation, Alicia's work situation, she has to work a lot during Christmas. Like, not Christmas Day, per se, but, like, the week of Christmas and week of New Year's. Because Miami offers, a like, what's called a J-term or a winter term. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah. So, she has to work some of those days. So, like, we don't get to travel a lot because of that. Which is not a big deal because, you know, who wants to drive six, seven hours and turn right around like go back around and do it again uh, the next day. So, yeah. um, but it's good for you guys. Cause I mean, like you're not super far away now. Yeah. It, it's 45 minutes. And I think like, even it's hard because we have three families we have to deal with my family, Laura's mom, Laura's dad. Yeah. Um, but then I think once you have, you know, once Peter and Lizzie came into the picture, it was like, well, everyone wants to see the grandkids. So now, in some ways, it's nice because it's a 45-minute drive, so everyone gets it. Where, like in your case, you know, Illinois, that's kind of a, <laughs> you know, you have a huge, long drive. So it's like, okay, we're in a different state now. So you can't really go, okay, we're going to Illinois. Now we're going to Nebraska. Now we're going here all in the same week. Like, that's just. Well, Alicia's brother, Alicia's brother lives in southern Georgia. But, like, Alicia's brother's wife, so my sister-in-law, Mindy, her family all lives in the same area like we're talking like five ten minutes from everybody so like they've got it made there so like but they try to do the same thing we do go every other year and then we try to go the same year that they go so that we get to see them but they're driving from georgia to illinois which is like i don't know 12 hours something like that yeah and they got three kids yeah absolutely goodness all right so um yeah so stories gone wild and micah i know you have a good one today I don't want to. I don't. I, I don't want to say it's a good one. I just think it's kind of funny. Um. So, Scott and I record on Mondays usually, right? And then last week, did we record Monday last week, or did we record a different day? 
We did record Monday. Recorded Monday. Last week. We did. And then Friday is usually when you drop episodes, Friday around noon. And so um, Saturday, my wife and I were out running some errands and we went and saw the Marvels, uh, uh, the latest Marvel project. And my wife was driving and I was like, oh, I'll just listen to the Scott Stimmon podcast to make sure that, you know, I don't sound, you know, like a like a doofus or something. And so I, sure enough, I pull the pull the app out, pull the app up and look at the Scott Stimmon podcast feed and there's no episode. And I'm like, where is it? <laughs> and so I texted Scott and I'm like, did you post the episode or did you forget to post the episode? And you were like, yeah, I'll just post it next week. <laughs> so I was like, yeah. yeah, and I really wanted to listen back to that episode because I was telling Alicia about it. And we did the episode on Kat Von D and her, her salvation experience. And But you assured me that we would uh, we post it this week. So here we are. It's not necessarily Swords Gotten Wild as much as I thought it was funny that I was with all sincerity, Scott pulled the app up to listen to our episode from last week and it just wasn't there. It got blipped. Yeah, it got blipped. Boop. Oh, goodness. So yeah, you said last so, week was a crazy week though. And that your it software was, was, it was up and yeah, it was, there's a lot going on last week. My daughter's birthday party, um, doing some doing, working on my second draft of my proposal and getting that checked and, and some other church projects that I thought were done, but nope, they had to keep going. And plus you had, um, we voted that Tuesday. So there's the election and my kids are out of school. So I have to entertain them for a day and take them voting with me last week. So it's just, you know, just, just a lot going on. Um, yeah. So for my, uh, for my story has gone wild. Um, it's been interesting. So, I mean, anytime when people ask me what instruments I play, I say, well, I play bass and I play the drums, but I'm a better bass player than I am a drummer. Sure. And yeah, I've had more experience and, you know, I got a drum set my senior year, went to college, couldn't take it with me. The youth band at the church I was attending borrowed it. And then even when I was done with college, they were still out of youth band. So I let them go. And then after I went to move to take my first pastorship, those who were musically inclined kind of graduated. So there was no youth band anymore. I'm like, hey, can I have my drum set back? Yeah, sure. So got it back and um, have it ever since. So uh, the drummer at the church for our contemporary service had surgery and that story is wild because they said, oh, we're going to go and we're going to do this. Okay. And, you know, they said that could probably be two week recovery and that would be it. Well, and I don't know what it is with hospitals, but it seems like I've heard stories of people being released earlier than what they needed to be. So um, he has a surgery. He's in the hospital for 24 hours. They release him. And literally the next day, he's back in the ER because he's starting to have infection. Mm. So he's back in the hospital. They do that. So now they prolonged his – so it's prolonged his thing. So the first Sunday he was gone, the band played without him. Second Sunday they're gone, the band played without him. The third Sunday, um, on Wednesday, before the third Sunday, I get a text from the worship leader saying, hey, can you play drums? I said, yeah, just let me know what songs you're playing because a lot of times when I've had to fill in, it's literally Sunday morning. Hey, Scott, the drummer's not coming in. Can you play? And it's like, I don't know what songs are playing. I haven't even practiced. Like, I'm not comfortable with it, but I, I, I do it. And occasionally you can tell, like, I'm just like, I don't know what the heck I'm doing or what this song is. So 
I got that, played the drums um, last Sunday or two Sundays ago. It was fine. So then at this week, I get a text from the worship leader. Hey, Scott, can you play again? Um, I'm like, yeah, sure. So gave me the song list. So I'm like, okay, so I'm listening to the songs. I haven't even played yet. Just listening to the songs. I haven't practiced. And then I get a text literally that evening saying, hey, it looks like Larry's good to go. We don't need you. I'm like, okay, that's fine. I'm cool with that. So we do that. And then finally, Saturday evening, I get a text. Hey, Larry's had a setback with his health. Can you play? Like right before I'm about to go to bed. So literally Sunday, I get up and I just start banging on the drums. Like at the church, it's like banging, listening to songs, trying to figure something out real quick to play. And then I go and I play. And I just thought that was just um, wild. Just kind of like, oh, I don't want to be the guy who just jumps in on the drums. So especially since I'm not very confident in my drumming skills. The fact that every time they keep relying on me to beat, I'm like, oh my gosh. So if you want to see my mediocre drumming skills, you can go to the Bexley United Methodist Church YouTube page and look at the last two Sundays and see me up there drumming and making faces because I couldn't say like, oh, I made a mistake. But the funny thing about that drumming story is I have the snare. It's an electronic kit, which I hate the electronic kits. Yeah, me too. <laughs> so I have my snare. I have two tom, and then I have like two toms and I have a four tom pad. So when I first started playing, I'm going and I'm playing. And then all of a sudden I start to do a roll from the hi-hat to the left tom to hit the crash. And I go, boom, boom. And when I hit the tom, I don't hear a tom noise. I hear something that sounds like pixie dust. Just, and I'm like, what the heck is this? So I had to change the drum kit. So I didn't have to do that. But anytime when there was a slow song, I would go back. And at the end of the song, I just hit that thing just to hear the, bloop, bloop, the pixie dust <laughs> And then I'm almost thinking when Larry gets back, I might change some of the head. So when he hits it, it goes like, all right, all right, one, one, woo, woo. Starts playing the drum, he hits that cymbal, he hits that crash, and goes, woo! <laughs> or the, or where you can change the kick drum, and it sounds like a bass line, so every time you hit the kick drum, it, it's a bass note. Or you just change it so you hit the hi-hat, it's actually the bass drum, and you hit the snare, it's actually a four <laughs> Just switch the inputs on the electronics kit, just like, <laughs> on the wrong place. <laughs> yeah, just unplug, plug here, da 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 yeah, I had yes. a I had a similar experience, you know, several years ago when I was working at this church and um I, you know, always had to get to the church, you know, super early anyway to turn everything on and get everything ready to go. And you know, we usually practiced on Wednesdays. And uh I got a text from our worship pastor and said, Hey, uh so and so's sick, we need you to play drums. And like with no practice or anything, I just was able to fill in and uh but I had, I was on a rotation, you know, not in your situation, but like I was on a rotation in Newark Cattle well enough that it wasn't as big of a deal for me. Um, and I would say for me, it's the opposite of you, right? Like I'm feel more comfortable playing drums than bass. I can play bass, but not as well as I can play drums. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. What are we yeah, talking so, about today? That's so not. Today we're talking. Wild. That's, it has nothing to do about drums. It has nothing to do with. Uh, 
me not posting the, <laughs> the podcast. But what we're doing today is we're actually looking at the idea of salvation as competition. Now, I don't know if you've had conversations before, Micah, but there's been times where like you go to like pastor gatherings, whether there's just like a pastor's fellowship or maybe at camp meeting or at a pastor's convention or whatever the case may be. And you could just be talking to a friend. I'm like, hey, man, how's things going? And you're thinking like, OK, I want to know about how they're doing. How's the family doing? You know, how's the church going? And you have this conversation, but occasionally you'll have, um, you'll end up having some conversations that are like, oh, yeah, things are going good. Led five people to the Lord, you know, or I led 10 people to the Lord so far. And it's only March and, you know, can't wait. My goal is, my goal is to hit 20 people by the end of the year to get saved. And it's like, oh, okay. And it's almost like, you have this comp. It's almost like there's like a little bit of a competition in some ways where people are talking and they're just like, Oh, I've done this many. Oh yeah. Well I've done this many. And it's just like, almost kind of like you're kind of like wanting up somebody. Oh, I had five saved. Oh, I baptized 30 people that Sunday. So I was like, Oh, your five saved is not important to my 30 baptized. So I don't know. I just feel like that there's been at least, um, I don't know. There's something about that competitive, that competitive spirit when it comes to people's salvation that kind of is um, kind of like part of Christian culture, but also kind of weird, but also kind of important. So it's it's like a thing where I feel mixed about that whole topic. So kind of generally, like, have you've experienced any type of conversations or bidding conversations where people are kind of going into talking about how many people they've saved or whatnot. Yeah, I think I, I see it more so on social media recently than I've seen it anywhere else. And I just, you know, it's like, you know, as well as you, I mean, Scott, I know that you, you know, have several friends on social that are pastors and, you know, people that we know through uh, mutual connections, whether it's Church God, whether it's, you know, with you, with UMC now, or I've worked in some non-denominational spaces and some Baptist spaces, so I have several friends on social that are pastors. And so, you know, it's not uncommon on Sunday morning or Sunday afternoon or Sunday evening, rather, to scroll through like Facebook, for example, and say, you know, Pastor Joe Smith from First Baptist Church in, you know, Arkansas uh, posts on his Facebook page. And for the listeners, that's a completely made up name and a completely made up church. Um, <laughs> but like... You know, we, we, you know, we, we, we led 15 people to the Lord and they all decided to get baptized today. Hallelujah. I've been seeing a lot of that recently. And I know the church of God, for example, which is what you and I are affiliated with. They have been posting, I'm pretty sure like weekly, you know, baptism reports and, um, this many people got baptized at this church and in this state, this many people got baptized at this church and in this state, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, praise God for that. You know, people are coming to Jesus and people are getting baptized and having new life in him, which we celebrate that. Um, but to your point, Scott, it, it, it tends to become a little bit more like, look at what I did kind of thing versus, I don't know, is there is there a legitimacy and a really heartfelt 
you know, pool to make you feel that, you know, there's like a genuineness to that, if that makes sense. Yeah. And it's actually been very interesting because I think this topic has kind of came up with um, with some of my work I've done with CSRM when I've been editing their podcasts or occasionally I'll sit in and have conversations and um, with them, especially with some of the books that they're producing and putting out for the sports and recreational minister, um, which I didn't know that was a thing until I started working, until I started working for them. But um but they always talk about the idea of salvation and we're very big into counting the numbers of people who have been saved, uh, counting the numbers of people who have been baptized, but yet we don't really get to a point where we talk about the number of people that we're discipling. And I think, it, I think in a church setting, it may be different because, you know, in a church setting, you're with people, you know, people, when you lead someone to the Lord, um, you, you have that personal relationship with that person. You have that personal connection. So if, as a minister, um, you're doing that with your people, but let's say you go to like, I don't know, like a passion 2024, or you go to like a big conference or you go to like a big like sporting event where they have like church night and an athlete talks about their faith in Jesus and gives an invitation for people to come to the Lord. And it's like, okay, if you accept your, if you accept, your, if you accept Jesus, raise your hand and they raise their hands and you can count like, okay, like in this uh, stadium of 10,000 people. Uh, 800 of them gave their lives to Christ and everyone cheers and it's great. And then it's like, okay, who's, who's following up with these people now? Right. So you, you, you raise your hand because you do that and it's like, yay, yay, yay and stuff. But, um, but then you get to that point where it's like, okay. And then like that person's like, oh yeah, I was at this event and I preached and I led 800 people to the Lord. I'm like, oh, okay. But, but did you? Like, I mean, I'm not trying to be cynical, but it's like, because I, when my, I think of my, my definition, if you're leading people to the Lord, you're not just saying, okay, here, there's Jesus, go follow him. It's like, here, I'm walking with you because I'm on this journey to follow Jesus. So let me walk with you. Let me disciple you. So then that way you can kind of split off and you can kind of go minister to someone and disciple someone else. You know, we're make disciples who make disciples. So, um, so I feel like, when it comes to numbers and almost like this kind of like low key bragging about the numbers of how many people you've saved or how many people you've baptized. I almost feel like even though it's important that, Hey, you're leading people to the Lord. That's great. But it's almost like the person who led 10 people this year to Jesus has some type of, has some type of superiority over the one person who led that one person to Christ and even discipled them so that they become a stronger Christian in their faith. Yeah. Um, yes. <laughs> I was, <laughs> yes. No, I was just thinking like, too, like, you know, to take it kind of a step further, like you see these mega churches, right. And, um, you know, I'm not going to call any of them out, but it's just like, you have this room packed full of people on Sundays, you know, multiple services, tens of thousands of people, but the gospel message, like how is the salvation experience even being had? Right. And then you have these small churches 
where it's like, we're going to talk about Joseph today and how his brothers, you know, betrayed him in the, the book of Genesis. But yet at the end of every message, we, we, we share the gospel. And then it's like, well, if you want to bow your heads, close your eyes, if you want to accept Jesus, raise your hand or come to the altar and pray, we'll lead you to the Lord. And then there's this whole like, oh, well, we led, you know, we led 12 people to the Lord today. Okay. And then those people don't come back to church after that. And it's like, well, your church isn't growing. Like, and I know that's kind of a separate topic, but it's like, it's, if you're leading people to Jesus, are you truly leading people to Jesus and explaining that and cultivating that community with people? Um, You know, you know, that's assimilation, right? Like what's, you know, next steps, right? Where do you go from there? Um, But in in respect to your, your point about bragging and, and things like that, it's like, what's the point of that? Right. Like if to my point, you know, if you're leading people to Jesus and, you know, they're having their salvation experience, then what? Right. Like, I think the bragging to me should, you know, I don't think bragging is a, a thing at all that should be happening in the, in the church. But like, like the idea that you can, um, I think of the book of Acts, right? And, you know, the, the day at Pentecost in Acts 2, and they were like, you know, and they their their numbers grew greatly as a result, right? Yeah. Like they were sharing the gospel and growing and growing by numbers and continuing to grow. And it wasn't this whole like bragging experience. And um, I didn't know where you wanted to go with this conversation because I feel like I'm all over the place. But like, it, it's no. just, it just seems like, you know, Can that be a cop out for your church is not being healthy or not growing? Oh, we we got we got 12 people saved today, but our church is still running 40 on Sunday morning and we're not growing and those people aren't coming back after they got saved. But they got saved, Scott. I think yeah, and I think that's kind of and I think that's kind of a hard part too because I feel like I don't know. Like I think that's always a struggle with every church is like, okay, how do we get people to come back to church, right? And yet, the way we get people to come back to church has been, you know, you preach a good message on like an Easter or Christmas and someone gets saved. And then you try to entice them on, hey, if you want to grow in your, you know, you know, you take the time to like talk with them, talk about next steps, do all that and, and get them pumped up and get them to, you know, be part of a local congregation to be part of a church or to be involved in in certain things and it's almost like that discipleship thing doesn't happen which that was like one of my biggest things in camp ministry now to say that with camp you know a lot of times with camp ministry it's purely evangelical which means kids are there they're there to have fun it's a christian camp so you're there to play games you're there to learn about god you're there to do that but you know when someone but we have five days, literally five days with these students. So we talk about Jesus or the pastor talks about Jesus. Um, So someone gives their life to Christ on a Monday, or even if they give their life to Christ on a Friday, the final day, then um, you're kind of at that point where it's like, okay, well, how do we disciple these kids? And the idea is we don't, 
we basically let the church know, hey, here's how many kids you send to camp. Here's how many people who've made their decisions to follow Christ. It really it's up to the pastor, the youth pastor, the children's pastor, or lay leaders to, to do the discipling. Um, and yet what we found out over the years is sometimes these kids who gave their life to the Lord would come back next summer coming down to the altar, want to give their lives to Christ because they're still dealing and struggling with the same stuff. And yeah. the question I asked is, well, didn't, and I, and I sometimes, one time I point, point blank <laughs> asked the kid, I'm like, well, has your church done anything? Has your church like, especially when this was the third time the kid's coming down in three summers, going to the, giving his life to the Lord for the third time saying, I, because I struggle with this, this, this. I'm like, oh, does anyone in your church know about this? Have you, has your pastor? Do they even have a church? Do they have a home church? Or do they just come with a person to go to camp? And that's, that's, those are questions that we had to ask. Because even though they may be tied with the church, because it could be someone's friend that brought them to camp, but they never, you know, went to church. And so a lot of times the salvation thing didn't necessarily fly with me as far as um because i'm uh so i'm thinking i had this conversation how do we disciple these kids and they're like well we can't i'm like well we have to do something because it's kind of hard for me to put the discipleship onto the local church and they're not doing it yeah and not only that but then like when we would have our general assembly and camp team would in the camp ministry uh the director would go up there and he'll talk about all the stuff that happened at summer camp and we give this slideshow hey we had over 800 students from senior high to third graders walk through our camp out of them 64 of them got saved um 124 of them rededicated their lives to christ some of this number felt the call to ministry uh, this these people made a commitment to grow close to be committed to grow in their faith. Like so, we had all these statistics, and of course, everyone who's sitting there, all these pastors are sitting there, clapping their hands or cheering. They're like, "Oh yeah!" And then I'm looking through this room. I'm thinking, "Okay, I see some of these pastors from some of these churches." And it's like I know some of your kids, and they keep coming down every year, rededicating their lives to Christ because they still haven't been discipled, and they still are basically not growing in their faith and i have to sit there and ask the question okay what's going on do we need to equip the local churches on how to do this to and at this point social media was very i mean that the, the extent of social media was literally aol instant messenger that was it so occasionally i could chat with some of these kids through instant messaging but that was it i can't have a relationship with these kids um, you know, or I write them or they write me and I write them back through sending stuff through the mail. But other than that, like that was hard. And, um, and I think, you know, so I'm, I'm torn because in the camp setting, it's good to see salvation because then pastors say, Hey, this is a ministry that's working. This is a viable ministry that kids can connect to God and learn about Jesus and have that moment where they can experience Jesus for the first time. Or feel comfortable in a space where they can rededicate their lives to Christ and say, hey, I messed up. I really want to recommit my life to Jesus Christ. Cool. Cool. And I think that's good. And then that means, hey, when I'm giving to Ohio Ministries that's funding the camp, 
that's good because I want that to happen. But now I almost feel like the whole salvation thing, if we just stick to how many people got saved, but we're not discipling people and we're not yeah. following up with people and we're not really trying to make those connections or even if they got saved at like a winter jam and at least the people who took their kids to winter jam should probably say, Hey, pastor so-and-so this a couple of these kids gave their lives to Christ. How do we disciple them? And I think that has to be a commitment to the congregants, to the leadership and everything else. Um, but I feel like once salvation happens, that's it. And I feel like it's one of those things where you get to the summit of a mountain and you finally work so hard and you finally get to that summit. Well, then there's still more to life than reaching the summit of the mountain. Like there's still, you have to get back down. You There's other summits, the mountains to climb. And for me, it's like we see salvation is once you're saved, that's it. You're good to go. If you were to die tonight, if you were to die tonight, Micah, you be with Jesus. And that's the extent of it. And it's like, well, no, there's growing, there's maturing, there's the fruits of the spirit, there's discipling, there's there's so much more to the Christian faith than just, and more, so much more to just life than, okay, I accepted Jesus. I've hit the, the peak of my, I've hit the peak and then that's it. I don't know, man. I'm getting I'm getting fired up. <laughs> no, I, I get what you're saying though, like too. Like, and if I could play devil's advocate for a minute, who yeah. does that fall on? Right? Like, so like let's let's just use camp for example. Yeah. You, you you're you're on a camp staff, you lead these kids to the Lord back home, and they don't have a church home, they don't know where to start, where to get plugged in, where to get connected. And it's like, does that fall on the staff of the church uh, the the camp teams? Like once you you know once you've let people the word, hey, where are you from? Oh, you're from Akron. Oh, I know this church, this church, this church, and I know these pastors, and get you connected with them. Well, I think that's I think that's the interesting part because I think it really depends on the administration and how things work. Because um, you know, if you think about it, when you get to your younger kids, your third grade, fourth grade, sometimes you may have an adult in the cabin as a counselor, but most of the time you probably just have like a teenager, like a senior hire who is your main counselor. And if you're a senior hire who lives in Southwest Ohio and you have these kids who are coming from Northeast Ohio, they probably don't know all the churches or what church of God church. And then out of that, we've also had kids who came from, not only Ohio, but outside of the state of Ohio. You had people who came from different denominations that weren't Church of God. You had people who came from Baptist churches or or uh, Methodist churches that came. And you and you think about that and you go, well, I know I can plug you into a uh, Church of God church in your area, but you say that you attend this Methodist church. How often are you attending? And I think you know, if it's not me leading my student, these kids to Christ, if it's a 17-year-old teenager who's leading these kids to Christ, how are they going to disciple them or pinpoint these kids to a certain a local congregation that could help them? 
you know, and for us, we see, and, and on our side, like our ministry, once we get all the things back, okay, this church sent a total of 15 kids across all six weeks of summer camp. So we'll write their names, we'll write their decisions on everything that they made, everything else. So I think when it comes to the salvation thing, it's on, especially in a camp setting, I think it's on the counselor, on the staff to kind of follow up. But at the same time, I think it's um, on the mainly on the pastors because again, we only have them for five days, and that's it. The other thing, but I think the third thing is it has to be on the person who actually accepted Jesus Christ. Like if they've had if that moment that they had was experiential for them and it was real and they genuine and they truly felt that Jesus had broke their bondage and they feel free then they have to make the steps to not only make a change of lifestyle, but they have to make the steps to say, okay, usually my family goes to church every other Sunday or barely or twice a year. I want to go every single Sunday or at least want to go once a month or I want to try to start going to more youth events or do more things, which I think, you know, organizations like when you have like within the church of God, we have, Northeast Ohio, Central Ohio. So when there's youth programming, when Central Ohio has all their youth programming throughout the year, Northeast Ohio has all their youth programming throughout the year. Those are things that you can plug into. It may not be summer camp, but there's still events with other youth, other big worship events that you can be a part of that can help you grow, especially if you haven't found a church home or anything else. Like here are some things. But I think there has to be a lot of uniformity and a lot of communication. And when you have, and especially when you have too many organ, micro organizations inside of a bigger organization, communication always gets dropped somewhere. Yeah. And the ball gets dropped. And if you drop the ball, then sometimes that could mean that a kid may not be being discipled because the camps didn't send something to the local churches or to the different districts saying, hey, here's stuff that you need to know. I don't know. It's, I think it's just very complex, but especially in a local church thing and going back to kind of like the pastor, the pastor's bragging about how they led 15 people to the Lord. I mean, I'd ask, okay, how many of those 15 people are coming to church regularly? How many of those people are coming to your Bible studies? How many people sit, came up to you and said, Hey, I want to do a Bible study. I want to do this ministry for the church. Are they, want to do the service project. Yeah. How many of them have come up to you and said, Hey, I have a coworker who's struggling with something. How can I, what can you show me in the Bible of some passages that can help them and help me and what, what words of wisdom can you teach me so I can lead them to Christ? Yeah. I think too, on the opposite end of that, you were talking about, um, you know, Maybe their family doesn't go to church. What if their family doesn't go to church at all? And then they, they go to church camp, they get, you know, led to the Lord, but then they get home and they don't have that life. They're not raised in church. They're not, you know, in that community. So like, so how do they do that? Right. Especially at a young age. Um, it's, it's very, it's a very complex and complicated situation. And I think we've kind of, you know, diverted from the main, I guess, topic, but like, it's just, you know, it goes back to like, okay, if those people have let, been led to the Lord, 
great, but beyond that, right? And then, you know, besides, hey, I'm going to post on Facebook that, you know, I led 27 people to Jesus today and we baptized 13. What's next? Like, are you doing next steps? Are you doing connection groups? Are you doing small groups with them? Are you, you know, pu- you know, plugging them into different areas of the church, whether they're youth or young adults or, you know, senior adults or, you know, uh, drug addicts, you know, like if they've had problems with drugs and alcohol and like maybe you have a rehab group that, that meets, it's a, it's a small group. Yeah. Um, where are you plugging those folks in? And it's, it's great that you're leading people to Jesus, but beyond that, what are you doing? And I yeah. think that's, is that the point you're trying to make with all this? Like, yeah, what, what, like what's the next thing that you're doing with these folks? Like, it, it just seems kind of counterproductive to brag about those things when that's all you're doing. And then there's nothing beyond that. And empty on Sundays. Yeah. And I, I, I think that's the, the big point. I think that, you know, we live in a state now where, you know, church attendance has been dropping rapidly, over, rapidly. And, and that's not just like within local churches. This is just like across the board, like average church attendance has been dropping on average. And even though you may have people who may have left your church to go to a mega church, still those people, those aren't the people I'm concerned about. I'm concerned about the people who are either left the church and not come back or people who occasionally flounder within the church system. And I think the idea that goes to my head most of the time is if we're getting back to the idea of salvation, I think that's that's the wrong approach because I think that most of the people who are probably not going to your church, I guess in their mind, were are already saved. And I guess that's another topic for another day, talking about the term salvation and what that means and the different camps of salvation whether you're once you're saved you're always saved or or if you or you can backslide or whatever the case may be like that whole soteriology um if that's what we're always focused on then when you have people who are starting to come back to church and then you want to continue to get these people who just entered your church to be saved and they're thinking we're already saved we want to have discipleship. We want to have community. We want to still find a place where we belong that we can serve. Then all we're hearing is you got to get saved. You got to get saved. You got to get saved. Then it's almost like it's almost like the point is that maybe the push, the evangelical push to try to get everybody saved or to have an altar call every single Sunday may not necessarily be the best method anymore. I think what the best method is, is having people build those relationships, whether it's the pastor, whether it's staff, or whether it's just people within your congregation, a new family comes in, you're talking with them, you're encouraging them, you're getting to know them, you're, you, you, you set up play dates because you both have kids of similar age, so you set up play dates. And you sit and you talk and you're doing life with them. And then you may find out, oh, these people are not saved. Then you can have the opportunity to lead them to Christ or, oh, they are saved. They just need to find a community. And I think in that way, you don't have to make a big spectacle of people crying, running down to the altars to give their life to Christ. And then you say, hey, 
five people at my church who were led to Jesus, you know, this morning, it's like, well, you can still do that by having one-on-one -on -one conversation and making the effort to have a relationship with people. I think I said this a couple of weeks ago in an episode that we did. I'm not sure which episode it was, yeah. but, but like, it's just, I, I think, it, right. What's the definition of insanity? My wife, Alicia says this all the time is doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting different results. Right. Yeah. Like, I, I feel like the, the, the evangelical—it it, it blows my mind that in 2023 we just expect salvation experience within the four walls of the church at an altar, right? When a salvation experience can happen over Thanksgiving dinner, uh, a salvation experience can happen in your living, room. a salvation experience can happen in Target's parking lot, or at Best Buy, or at a coffee shop, or at a university. Like it doesn't have to be at an altar of prayer and it doesn't have to be within the four walls of the church. And I think yeah. that like, just for whatever reason, we just have it ingrained in our skulls and our brain that that's how salvation has to happen. And it's just, it's just mind blowing to me that people expect that to happen. And I believe it's a generational thing, but like, it's, it, it's very frustrating. It's like, well, those numbers would be through the roof, salvation experiences, right? If if we included things like the ones I just listed or the places that I just listed that you could experience Jesus and outside the four walls of the church, right? Like it it's very like it's confusing and disheartening to me to to sit back and think like, wow, you can only in a church. Well, no, <laughs> you know, like look at the ministry of Jesus and look at the gospel. Jesus traveled all over the place and shared the gospel with people. It wasn't in a church. Yeah. And and I, and I think I go back to like Matthew 18, where the disciples asked Jesus, well, who's the greatest? Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus didn't say. Oh, the greatest in heaven is the person who had the most salvations ever. I mean, if that was the case, Billy Graham, you're the greatest in heaven, right? Most salvations. Promise but keepers. Said, promise keepers. Those who led promise keepers. Uh, you're the greatest in heaven. Um, the mega I think churches. we're dating ourselves now talking about I know. promise keepers. Mega churches. Stephen Furtick. <laughs> uh, Joel Elevation Osteen. <laughs> you guys, you, you're the greatest in heaven. Uh, Kenneth Copeland, not so much, but, <laughs> but, um, but Jesus didn't say that. He said, you know, he called a little child and he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change, you become like the little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And I think that's the thing. When you think about a child, a child's not bragging. I mean, my kids, I mean, if my kids get excited, they'll get excited about something like Peter got excited that he beat Mario wonder in three days. Okay, cool. But he's not claiming that, hey, I beat Mario Wonder. I'm the best at Mario Wonder. I'm the best there ever is. Like, he's not making a big deal about it. Um, sometimes I see my kids do something that's very kind and generous, and they're helping out. Like, at my daughter's birthday, Peter was helping some of the kids. He was kind of teaching them, like, oh, hey, here's this. Or he, there's a couple, like, there's two boys there. All of them were girls, and there's two boys there. And Peter says, hey, here's this football. Let's go play football. So they ran down the hallway playing football in the church running down the hallways, hoping they don't break the stained glass windows right there. But, um, 
And I mean, that's the thing. He didn't go like, oh, yeah, look at me. I was playing with like these two boys and I made sure that they had fun at the party. Look at me like nothing. They just they just do things and they don't care about the act the praise or the accomplishments or anything else. They just do it because they're kids and they want to have fun and they want to do things. And I think if we're disciples, yeah, should we be leading people to the to Christ? Yeah. But for me, it's not just something me leading someone to Christ. It's me making sure that kids know what it means to be a Christian and what one looks like and how one lives and how one acts. And I think that's probably the better lesson than anything else. So um, with that being said, like that's pretty much it. So friends, uh, if you're listening to it's like maybe you're in that same spot. Maybe you struggle with it too. Like, oh, it's important that we lead people to Christ, but I don't kind of like the whole, hey, look how many I got saved today. Like maybe you're kind of like, eh, maybe that competition thing needs to kind of get out the window and just just really love people. Let's lead people to the Lord and let's disciple them and let's not make a a big old stink about not. And if we're going to make a big stink, let's make a big stink about those who actually made that commitment to follow Christ, not the person who eventually led them to Christ, you know, because I think back to the Apostle Paul, you know, you know, Apollo watered. I planted the scene, Apollo watered, but God made things grow. Like, you know, there's a progression that happens. And sometimes it's not just one person that leads people to Christ. It's multiple people span throughout time that have kind of helped usher someone to have that moment to finally connect with Jesus in a very powerful and personal way. So friends, that's it for us. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you have a wonderful day. Take care.